hi today the 30th of august 2021 we are going to do chapter 32 of sai satcharita in this we are going to read the quest of guru and god fasting disapproved in this chapter hemat pant describes two things the first one how baba met his guru in the woods and through him god <coughs> excuse me how baba met his guru in the woods and through him god and two how baba made mrs gokle who had made up her mind to fast for through who, who had made up her mind to fast for three days eat puran polis preliminary in the beginning hemat pant describes the sansara the visible world by the allegory of ashwatha the banyan tree which has in the phraseology of the gita roots above and branches below its branches are spread downward and upwards and are nourished by the gunas the qualities and its sprouts are the objects and senses are the objects of the senses let me read that again its branches are spread downward and upwards and are nourished by the gunas the qualities and its sprouts are the objects of the senses its roots leading to actions are extended downwards to this world of men its form cannot be known in this world nor its end its beginning nor its support after cutting this ashwatha tree of strong roots with the sharp weapon of non attachment one should seek the path beyond treading where there is no return for traveling this path the help of a good guide guru is absolutely necessary however learned a man may be or however deep his study of veda and vedant sacred literature may be he cannot reach his destination safely if the guide be there to help him and show him the right way he would avoid the pitfalls and the wild beasts on the journey move aside baba's experience in this matter through the story which he gave out himself is really wonderful which when attended to will give you faith devotion and salvation the quest once four of us were studying religious scriptures and other books and being thus enlightened we began to discuss the nature of brahma one of us said that we should raise the self with self ever efforts and not depend on others to this the second replied that he who controls his mind is blessed 
we should be free from thoughts and ideas and there is nothing in the world without us the third said that the world phenomenon is always changing the formless is eternal so we should discriminate between the unreal and the real and the fourth <coughs> baba himself urged that bookish knowledge alone is worthless and added let us do a prescribed duty and surrender our body mind and five pranas life to the guru's feet guru is god all pervading to get this conviction strong unbounded faith is necessary while discussing in this way we four learned men began to ramble through the woods in quest of god the three wanted to make the quest with their free and unaided intellect on the way a vanjari a man a man who trades in certain things such as grain etc were carrying them on bullock matters and asked us it is hot now where and how far are you going in the woods we replied he inquired oh what quest are you bound we gave him an ambiguous and evasive reply on seeing us rambling aimlessly he was moved and said without knowing the woods fully you should not wander at random if you want to walk through forest and jungle you should take a guide with you why do you exert yourselves unnecessarily during this hot noon sun you may not give out to me your secret of the quest still you can sit down eat bread drink water take rest and then go be always patient at heart <clears throat> though he spoke so tenderly we discarded his request and marched on we thought that we were self-contained men and needed nobody's help the woods were vast and trackless the trees therein grew so close and tall that the sun's rays could not penetrate through them so we lost our way and wandered here and there for a long time ultimately through sheer good luck we came back to the place from where we started tavanjari met us again and said <clears throat> by relying on your own cleverness you missed your way <clears throat> A guide is always necessary to show us the right way in small or great matters and no quest can be successfully carried out on an empty stomach unless God's wills it no one meets us on the way do not discard offers of food served dish should not be thrust away on saying this he again offered us food and asked us to be calm and patient again my companions did not like this unsolicited hospitality and discarded his offer without doing any quest and without taking any food the three began to move out so obstinate were they i was hungry and thirsty 
and I was moved by Dhananjari's extraordinary love. We thought ourselves very learned, but were strangers to kindness. Dhananjari was quiet, illiterate, an unqualified fellow, and belonged to a low caste. Still, he had love in his heart and asked us to eat the bread. In this way, he who loves others disinterestedly is really enlightened, and I thought acceptance of his hospitality was the best beginning of getting knowledge. So, very respectfully, I accepted the loaf of bread offered, ate it, and drank water. Then, lo, the Guru came and stood before us. What was the dispute about? He asked, and I told him everything. But, sorry, what was the dispute about? He asked, and I told him everything that had happened. Then he said, would you like to come with me? I will show you what you want. But he alone who believes in what I say will be successful. The others did not agree to what he said and left him. But I bowed to him reverently and accepted his dictum. Then he took me to a well, tied my feet with a rope and hung me down and hung me head downwards and feet up from a tree near the well. I was suspended three feet above the water which I could not reach with my hands or with my mouth. After suspending me in this manner, he went away no one knew where. After ten or twelve batakas, four or five hours he returned and after taking me out quickly asked me how I fed. In bliss supreme I was. How can a fool like me describe the joy I experienced? I replied on hearing my answer. The Guru was much pleased with me, drew me near him and stroking my head with his hand, kept me with him. He took care of me as tenderly as a mother bird does of young ones. He put me into his school. How beautiful it was. There I forgot my parents. All my attachment was snapped and I was liberated easily. I thought that I should embrace him and keep staring at him always. If his image was not fixed in my eyes, I would rather be blind. Such was the school. No one who entered it once could return empty-handed. My guru became my all in all, my home, my mother and father, everything. All my senses left their places and concentrated themselves in my eyes and my sight was centered on him. Thus, my guru was the sole object of my meditation and I was conscious of none else. While, in, while meditating on him, my mind and intellect were silent and I had thus to keep quiet and bowed to him in silence. There are other schools where you see an altogether different spectacle. The disciples go there to seek knowledge and spend their money, time and labor, but ultimately they don't gain much. The Guru 
there boasts of his secret knowledge and his straightforwardness. He makes a show of his sacredness and holiness. He speaks a lot and sings his own glory, but his own words do not touch the disciples' heart, and they are not convinced so. So far as self-realization is concerned, he has not reached that. How can such schools be of any use to the disciples? And how can they be benefited? The master, Guru mentioned above, was of different type. By his grace, realization flashed upon me of itself without effort or study. I had nothing to see. Everything became to me. As clear as broad daylight, the Guru alone knows how the inverse suspension with head down and feet up can give happiness. Among the four, one was a karmakande ritualistic who only knew how to observe and abstain from certain rites. The second was Jnani who was puffed up with pride of knowledge and the third was a bhakta who surrendered himself completely to God believing that he was the sole doer. When they were discussing and arguing, the question of God came up and they, depending on their unaided knowledge, went in search of him. Sai, who was discrimination and dispassion incarnate, was one of the four on being himself, Brahma incarnate. Some may ask, why did he mix with them and act foolishly? He did this for setting an example to follow. Though an incarnation himself, he respected a low Anjari by accepting his food with the firm belief that food is Brahma and showed how those who rejected Anjari's hospitable offer suffered and how it was impossible to get down without a Guru. The Shuti, Taitriya Upanishad exhorts us to honor and worship mother, father and preceptor and to study, learn and teach the sacred scriptures. These are the means of purifying our minds and unless this purification is affected, self-realization is not possible. Neither the senses nor the mind and intellect reach the self. Modes of proof such as perception and inference will not help us in the matter. It is the grace of the Guru that counts. The objects of our life such as Dharma, Artha and Kama are attainable with our effort. But the fourth object, Moksha, liberation, can only be had with the help of the Guru. In the life story of Sri Sai, many personalities appear and play their part. Astrologers come and give out their predictions. Princes, noblemen, ordinary and poor men, sannyasis, yogis, singers and others come for darshan. Even a mahar comes and making a salutation says, Sai is the my pap, 
true parent who will do away with our rounds of births and deaths so many others such as jugglers gondhalis who sing devotional songs the blind and the lame nagpantis dancers and other players come and are given suitable reception the vanjari also appeared at the right time and played the part assigned to him let us now revert to the other story <coughs> fasting and mrs gokli baba never fasted himself nor did he allow others to do so the mind of the person who fasts is never at ease then how could he attain his paramatma or how could he attain his paramartha goal of life god is not attained on an empty stomach let me read that again god is not attained on an empty stomach first the soul has to be appeased if there is no food in the stomach and nutrition with what eyes would we see god with what tongue should we describe his greatness and with what ears should we wear should we hear i mean let me read that again uh, <clears throat> if there be no food in his stomach and nutrition with what eyes should we see god with what tongue should we describe his greatness and with what ears should we hear the same in short when all our organs get their proper nutrition and are sound we can practice devotion and other sadhanas to attain god <coughs> therefore neither fasting neither fasting nor overeating is good moderation in diet is really wholesome both to the body and mind one mrs gogle came to shirdi with an introductory letter from mrs kashibai karnataka okay let me read that again one mrs gogle came to shirdi with an introductory letter from mrs kashibai karnataka a devotee of baba to dada kelkar she came to baba with the determination to sit at baba's feet and observe a three day fast the previous day baba said to dada kelkar that he would not allow his children to starve during the shimoga that is holy holidays and that if they had to starve why was he there next day when the woman went to dada kelkar and sat at baba's feet baba at once said to her where is the necessity of fasting go to dada bats house prepare the dish of puran polis wheat rotis with gram flour and jaggery feed his children and yourself too shimoga holidays were on mrs kelkar was then going through her menses and there was nobody to cook in dada bats house so baba's advice was very timely Then Mrs. Gokhale had to go to Dada Bhat's house and prepare the dish as directed. She cooked the day fed. Uh, she cooked that day fed others and herself. What a good story and how beautiful it's imparted. Baba's Sarkar. <coughs> Baba gave a story of his boyhood as follows. 
When I was a youngster, I was in search of bread and went to beef. There I got embroidery work. I worked hard, sparing no pains. The employer was very much pleased with me. Three other boys worked before me. The first got rupees fifty, the second rupees hundred, and the third rupees one hundred and fifty. And I was given twice the total of this amount, with rupees six hundred. After seeing my <coughs> cleverness, the employer loved me, praised me, and honored me with a full dress. a turban for the head and a shela for the body i kept this dress intact without using it i thought that what a man might give i i i kept it i mean let me read that again i kept this dress intact without using it i thought that what a man might give does not last long and it is always imperfect but what my sarkar god gives last to the end of time no other gift from any man can be compared to his my sarkar says take take but everybody comes to me and says give give nobody attends carefully to the meaning of what i say my sarkar's treasury spiritual wealth is full it is overflowing i say dig out and i take away this wealth in dark clothes the blessed son of a true mother should fill should fill himself with this wealth the skill of my fakir the leela of my lord and the aptitude of my sarkar is quite unique all about me body earth will mix with earth breath with air this time won't come again no matter where i go or where i sit maya always troubles me much let me read that again maya always troubles me much still i am always anxious for my men he who does not he who does anything spiritual endeavor will reap its fruit and he who remembers these words of mine will get invaluable happiness bow to shri sai peace be to all uh, there is a note here which i would like to read at the end of page 171 <coughs> we think that the description of the hanging in upside down position in the well for four or five hours should not be taken too literally for no one can be at ease and feel bliss if he be suspended with a rope head down and feet up in a well for hours together this seems to be a figurative description of the trance or samadhi state there are two sorts of consciousness sensual and spiritual when our senses and mind which are created by god with an outgoing tendency meet their objects we get the sensual consciousness in which we feel pleasure or pain pure or mixed but not bliss supreme of happiness when the senses and the mind are withdrawn from their objects and are given opposite direction that is when they are introverted and fixed on the self we get the other spiritual consciousness in which we feel unalloyed joy or bliss which is ineffable the words in bliss supreme i was and how can i describe the, describe the joy i felt so that the guru put him in trance and kept him above the waters of the restless senses and mind om samadhi sadguru sri sai narayana
Om